And we want to see that that comfort that the prophet looks to and finds hope in is a comfort that belongs to us as well in and through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so this morning, as we look at Lamentations 3, verses 22 to 24, we want to see as this is our theme. Afflicted Judah finds comfort in their God's trustworthiness. Afflicted Judah finds comfort in their God's trustworthiness. And we'll see that in the first place, uh, they trusted him to show mercy, and he can, he can be trusted to show mercy. And in the second place, he can be trusted to be faithful. But as afflicted Judah finds comfort in the trustworthiness of their God, we want to see in the first place that they could do so based on their confidence and their knowledge that their God, our God, can be trusted to show mercy. Verses 21 and following represent, as we said, as I hinted before, a transition, a little bit of a change, a switching of gears from utter despair to some kind of hope, the beginnings of hope. Because up to this point, Jeremiah has been painting a very grim picture of the utter devastation of Judah to such an extent that someone reading it, um, to, to someone reading it would be far-fetched to think, based on what he has said up to this point, that Judah um, was anything but finished, that there, that, that there was any hope for them, that there would be any kind of rising from the ashes for them. In fact, he says as much in verse 18, as we heard, uh, so I say my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. And so... Things were so bad that hope was hard to see at this point. And yet we know that if there is faith in the true and living God, there is always hope. And so we hear in verse 21, but this I call to mind and therefore I, hate, I hope. You, see, you hear the contrast? Uh, and so I say my endurance, verse 18, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord, but then we hear this beginning of hope, verse 21, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And so, in spite of the disaster that had come upon them, Judah could find hope, as Jeremiah expresses here, as they remembered God's character, His trustworthiness. And given the circumstances in their history, it was amazing, really, that they could find any hope at all. Let me recap a little bit of what had led up to this. Under King Manasseh, the nation of Judah had become steeped in paganism. Second Kings 21 records that Manasseh had built high places, that's places on the sides of mountains to worship the pagan idols and pagan gods, he had raised up altars. He had built a wooden image to Baal, the god of the Canaanites. He bowed down. This is the king. And the people would follow after the king, of course. He had bowed down and worshipped Asherah, a Canaanite goddess. Listen to this. He even built pagan altars in the temple of God himself, itself. And he practiced child sacrifice, even of his own children, and all kinds of sorcery and witchcraft. And the Lord announced to Judah through his prophets 
that he was going to bring vengeance upon them, that this was not going to stand. He, in fact, uh, he says to them uh, uh, verbatim, he was going to wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish. He would forsake them and he would deliver them into the hands of their enemies to be plundered. And that is exactly what happened. In the year 587 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylons, came and they besieged Jerusalem as the Lord had proclaimed through his servants, the prophets. And we hear exactly why in 2 Kings 24, verses 3 to 4. 2 Kings 24, verses 3 to 4. Surely this came upon Judah at the the command of the Lord to remove them out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh according to all that he had done and also for the innocent blood that he had shed. For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood and the Lord would not pardon. And so Judah at this time in their history and over a course of time, the course of time had driven God, uh, humanly speaking we might say, they had driven God to a smoldering anger. And now their sins had caught up with them. And Jeremiah describes here in Lamentations something of the horrors that he saw as he looked around him. He says in chapter 1 verse 3 of Judah going into captivity under affliction and hard servitude, finding no rest, all her persecutors overtaking her in dire distress. And he says those who were left were starving. Chapter 2, verse 11 speaks of children and infants fainting in the streets of the city, asking their mothers for food as they died in their arms. It was so bad that Jeremiah speaks in chapter 2, verse 20, of women eating their own offspring. In chapter 4, verse 6, he speaks of the punishment of Judah as greater than that of Sodom. If we can imagine that. The punishment of Judah as greater than that of Sodom. In other words, Sodom was destroyed in a moment. The suffering of Judah was prolonged. Listen as well to chapter 5, verses 10 to 16. Chapter 5, verse 10 to 16 of Lamentations. Our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill, and boys stagger on the loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate. The young men, their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. And so the Babylonians had come. And they had dealt with Judah in the only way that the Babylonians knew how to deal with anyone who stood in their way or who opposed them. Demoralized them mercilessly through brute torture and humiliation and abuse. But here's the interesting thing. And we have to keep this in mind. Ultimately, behind all of this was the hand of the Lord. And Jeremiah acknowledges that many times in this book. He says, it was the Lord who had inflicted them with sorrow in his fierce anger. That's chapter 1, verse 12. Chapter 1, verse 14, he says that the Lord had thrust a yoke upon their necks, made their strength fail, and delivered them into the hands of those who were not, they were not able to withstand. Chapter 1, verse 15 
the Lord had trampled all their mighty men underfoot, called an assembly against them to crush them and trampled them as in a wine press. Chapter 2, verses 5 to 6. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all its palaces. He has laid it in ruins its strongholds. And he has multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. He has laid waste his booth like a garden, laid in ruins his meeting place. The Lord has made Zion forget festival and Sabbath, and in his fierce indignation has spurned king and priest. And so, and we, we have to get this, behind Babylon's lust for, for conquest and their merciless methods, methods of war, Behind all of this was the hand of the God of Judah. He himself had strengthened the Babylonians so that they could exact punishment upon his people. There were instruments in his hands to mete out judgment for Judah's sin. And again, under such conditions, it would be quite surprising to hear of God applying the brakes at this point. As a matter of fact, it would be more understandable, wouldn't it, for us to hear of him uh, not relenting until Judah had been wiped off from the face of the earth. And yet, Jeremiah confesses in verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. This is what Jeremiah calls to mind. This is what he remembers at this time. This is where he finds consolation. Two powerful Hebrew words are used here. The first word is, is pronounced chesed in the, in the Hebrew, uh, meaning unfailing or, or steadfast love. It's a love that God bestows upon His people that remains loyal, a love that never changes. And the second word in the Hebrew is the word racham, which describes a deep love and pity that a superior has for an inferior. It's the kind of love extended to someone who does not deserve it or has not earned it. It's a kind of electing love. The same kind of love that God loves us. And the, lo um, the love in which He chose us in Christ Jesus before the world was created. Well, in those dark days, Jeremiah draws strength and comfort from the remembrance of God's unfailing mercy and undeserved compassion. And he says that these never cease. They never come to an end. This is what he calls to mind. This is what he remembers about God. And the Hebrew word that's translated remembers here or calls to mind uh, is literally return. As, it, as Jeremiah views this terrifying scenario, his mind returns to what he knows to be true about God. And congregation, this is an encouraging word for us as well still today. We too, in Christ, may confess that God's love never fails to what us. His mercies never ceases. He will never leave us nor forsake us. The confession of the Apostle Paul is ours as well in 2 Corinthians 4 verses 8 to 9. 2 Corinthians 4 verses 8 to 9. Paul writes, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, 
persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And so the encouragement for us today is that persecution may come, personal trials may at times weigh us down, but we, just like Judah, are never abandoned by the Lord. And why? And this is the part we have to get the most. Not because of our efforts, not because of our good works, not because of our good intentions, but because and only because of the finished, perfect work of Jesus Christ, God's Son. And let us remember always that the comfort of God's unfailing love and mercy is only ours through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who took upon himself what should have been ours, the suffering that should have been ours. Jesus took upon himself the unimaginable judgment that we should have suffered and died on the cross, bearing our sins and carrying our sorrows. And he continues to make intercession for us at the right hand of God, having risen from the dead and ascended to God the Father's right hand. And it is in him that we may be confident that God's love toward us, his children, never ceases and his mercies never come to an end. But as afflicted Judah finds comfort in the trustworthiness of their God, we see in the second place that they could do so based on their knowledge that God can be trusted to be faithful. Verse 23 gives us this, a beautiful picture of incomparable comfort. Jeremiah writes, God's mercies and compassions are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. Now, there's lots we could say as we go on, and we will, but it's good to pause sometimes and, and ask, because quite often in the Christian world we, we use all these words, and uh, it's good from time to time to pause and say, well, what does that word mean exactly? We, we speak about uh, the faithfulness of God. What does that mean exactly? Well, well, the Hebrew word that is translated faithful or faithfulness in our Bibles is the same word from which we derive the word amen that we pronounce at the end of our prayers. And when we say amen, that, that, that word from which it's de derived has to do with certainty, firmness, truth, dependability. The root of the word has to do with support, as in something that can be depended upon to support or to carry us. It would be used in the context, for instance, um, of uh, describing a mother carrying her child. That child can trust that mommy is not going to drop him or her. As a matter of fact, the word pillar in the Old Testament is derived from the same root word, as in the pillars that supported the temple of God. And so uh, when we speak of uh, God being faithful, we're talking about, about God's dependability, His trustworthiness, His faithfulness. In fact, Jeremiah says, great is His faithfulness. And the word great has to do with size or vastness. And when we read here of God's faithfulness being great, it's a confession of the expansiveness of that faithfulness. The faithfulness of God, we might say, is not limited. It's not puny. It is great. It is massive. It is limitless. It cannot be contained 
In fact, it's so extensive that we may be sure, verse 23, that His mercies and compassions are new every morning. Again, like we said, a beautiful picture here. Every new day brings with it the refreshed or renewed blessings of God. His blessings never get stale, we might say. We never get, have to use day-old blessings. His blessings never use, or lose their newness. And beloved, this was Jeremiah's consolation as he contemplated the vast devastation that he saw before him. That was the nation of Judah. That there was hope in spite of all of this. Because God's mercies and compassions are always being renewed, great is His faithfulness. And so even though Jerusalem had been plundered and ravaged, even as their youth had been taken away in exile, even though the king no longer ruled and the elders no longer gave guidance at the gates, even as the people withered away under the most harsh and horrific suffering and starvation, there was comfort to be had in that the Lord does not forget His promises. He does not change like shifting shadows. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What He has said, He will indeed bring to pass. And so He could be trusted to restore a remnant of the people to their land. And he would rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He would bring vengeance upon those who had trampled upon his people with such unrestrained zeal. And so the souls of his people could rest in this confession, verse 24. The Lord is my portion, therefore I will hope in him. And the word portion carried, we have to know, a, a very significant amount of weight to an Israelite. The word portion could also be translated inheritance. And their inheritance, the inheritance of the Israelites, was not merely, although they would think that that's what it was from time to time, but the inheritance of the Israelites was not merely the land of Canaan, the land of milk and honey, the promised land. The inheritance or the portion of, the, of, the, of uh, Israel was really the Lord, their God. As a matter of fact, we hear this. In the Psalms, quite often in Psalm 16, verse 5, we hear, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. Psalm 73, verse 26, God is the strength of my heart and my portion or inheritance forever. The Lord belongs to his people. He is our greatest treasure. And beloved, if he is, then indeed we can trust in him. We can rely upon Him. We can hope in Him. Which is Jeremiah's confession here in verse 24. He says, therefore I have hope. The word hope in the Bible we know is closely linked with, to faith and trust. It describes a patient yet confident waiting. God's own can rely on Him. Because He has established Himself as our most valuable possession greater than our bank accounts, more powerful than any weapon invented by man, more trustworthy and reliable than any other is the Lord our God. Indeed, he says in Isaiah 49 verse 15 that even if it were possible, 
for a mother to forget the baby that she nursed, he will not forget us. He says he has us engraved in the palm of his hand. Those he loves, in other words, cannot be erased from his knowledge, and he will always be seeking our good. He will always seek us when we go astray. He will always be waiting with open arms if we should wander from him. His blessings are new every day. His faithfulness is vast and unlimited, and so we may hope in and wait upon him. What comforting words these must have been to a devastated nation like Judah at this time. But congregation, what comforting words these still are to us today. That our lives are in the hands of the God who will never quit on us. Who will always be concerned for us. Who will never ever abandon us to our enemies. In our case, especially in our modern day age, Babylon represents something else. It represents the world. The world that is driven by the powers and principalities and rulers of this dark age. The spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. To use the words of Ephesians 6. These are the Babylonians that come against us today. And they come breathing out violence and hatred against the church. And so we find ourselves in these last days in a very similar situation to Judah of the Old Testament. I'll give you a few examples. One of my colleagues recently, he forwarded an article that reported the recommendations of an advisory, uh, an advisory panel to Canada's military defense minister. And so there's uh, the minister of defense in Canada, and then there is an advisory panel that advises her. And this is the advice that they gave to her recently. That she should not allow the hiring of military chaplains from religions that do not accept the government of Canada's policies and principles of, of diversity and inclusion. And if you don't understand what that means, I'll tell you very plainly. They're saying to the minister, when you're hiring chaplains for our soldiers... If anyone is anti-LGBTQ, if they can be uh, pinned with the label Islamophobic, if you can find any gender bias in them, no job for them. If, in other words, if you are a conservative Christian who lives by the Bible and by the Bible's teachings and principles, you have no place. This is the advice of this um, advisory panel to the, minist uh, the Minister of Defense that, uh, the, uh, that uh, orthodox conservative Christians ought not to be hired in our military. The same article goes on to describe religion. Listen to this. It described religion. This is going to be painful, but listen. It described religion as a source of suffering and generational trauma. That's why it should be discouraged. So we should, the, the, the chaplains of the army should not uh, be very religious because that only brings on suffering and generational trauma. And, and, and behind all of this, we know what this is, right? What this really is, is Satan's continuing attempt to silence the proclamation of the gospel. The recent bill passed against 
so-called conversion therapy. That's another example of this. Or if you are aware of the backlash that's going on in the U.S. and even the response in Canada here concerning uh, even the rumors of that, that Roe versus Wade might be overturned. Or maybe you've seen the attack ads against the Alberta government's financial assistance to private schools. And it, it's, it's really not so far-fetched to envision or imagine the day when the tax exemption status of our churches will be taken away or laws will be passed against preaching against sins that the Bible itself calls abominable or preaching against the exclusivity of Christianity. Laws, it's very easy to envision that these things will happen. Laws will be passed in the coming future. The church will continue to face the opposition of the world. And if not... If not that, there are times when we personally will struggle with our own personal salvation, when we ourselves will doubt our conversion. We will go through times when we will be convinced that we have made shipwreck of our faith. This life as well brings with it times of grave illness, pain, loneliness, grief, doubt, fear. There are times even for us as Christians when we maybe even find ourselves wondering if God is hearing our prayers because of the situation we're in. And if nothing else, for all of us, every one of us here, the day will come when we will lie on our deathbed. And all the safety nets that we've built up for ourselves all through our lives will be gone. What will be our comfort in these times? Beloved, just what Jeremiah confessed, that God's blessings are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. We may be confident in God our Father's trustworthiness because He is faithful to those He has embraced as his own in his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul writes to Timothy, if we are faithless, God remains faithful. Jesus never hid anything from us. He said to us, in this world, you will have trouble. But you know, the encouragement that we have in all of Scripture is that when suffering comes our way, when persecution comes our way, when, and when personal tragedy or hardship come our way, our Heavenly Father will never leave us nor forsake us. He will never abandon us to our trouble. As a matter of fact, if we understand suffering in the context of the Bible, sometimes that suffering is actually our Father in His perfect wisdom disciplining us for our good. And so because of this, He may will that His church suffer dire times, even persecution. He may send us personal hardship, but what we can always rest upon is what Jeremiah and the, Jew, and the people of Judah could rest upon at that time in their history. Our God will never forsake us. He is always faithful. Great is His faithfulness. But let us quickly say that in order to find some such comfort and to, to have and maintain that kind of comfort... 
We need to be drawing to Christ daily. We need to be believing more and more that only Jesus Christ is our rock and our refuge. That he took our sins, our punishment upon himself and he paid for them with his own life. That our Lord Jesus drank the cup to its bitter dregs. He endured the pain. Peter says that even when he was mocked, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And now through him, we may believe that God's mercies never cease. His compassions never fail. His blessings are new every day. That he is ours and we are his. And he always will be. Amen.